conceded in creep team for 25 years or so. Um, not, all, not all in a row. But um, I've been creep team for 25 years and, and you get things happen and, um, and you learn to roll it and not get an equipment failure. So my glasses broke just before this day and the glasses I've got. <laughs> and so I could do my sermon without my glasses, but then I couldn't see you. And one of the great things about preaching is oh, you're looking at me and I'm looking at you. And when I'm preaching, I see who's convicted. <laughs> and I would miss that and it wouldn't work. So I need to see who the Spirit's needling today as I preach the sermon. So um, I can see you fine. Right. <laughs> This is the Reverend Ray Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in John chapter 6 this morning, right? So John 6 begins with the feeding of the 5,000. Okay? The feeding of the 5,000. And we know that story. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people, and 12 baskets of leftovers. That's the story. And it's interesting that this miracle of multiplication, of feeding, is in all four Gospels. All the traditions that recorded and passed down the narrative of Jesus included this story. And that shows us that this story of Jesus was very important to the early church as the early church tried to explain to the world who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And in today's Gospel, we see the moment where the people that Jesus is speaking to make the connection between what has just happened on the other side of the lake with the feeding of the 5,000 and what happened in the desert with Moses. They say to Jesus, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So we see in that comparison that feeding the people is a really important miracle. It's the sign of a true prophet. God shows his engagement with the needs of the people through feeding them. And in our food obsessed culture, it's worth looking at what God puts on the menu. God doesn't send steak. God sends man. God sends bread and fish. In Exodus 16, we get the description of man. And it's interesting, the people are in the wilderness. They're not starving yet, but they're worried about starving. And they come to Moses and they express their concerns. And then one morning they get up. And in Exodus 16 it says, There on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And the description of it was, It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made of honey. 
and then it's, it's verse, and then in that chapter they go around and they learn to pick it up and the more you pick up the more there seems to be so they pick it up and then it says the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a habitable land they ate it until they came to the border of the land of Canaan 40 years of mum what's for dinner Man, great. <laughs> the white flaky stuff that tastes like wafers is my favourite. <laughs> then today, God sends bread and fish. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, says to Jesus, Well, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Barley loaves. It's an important thing to note. Barley was growing a lot more um, historically than it is now. And it was the food of the poor. Wheat was expensive. Rich people had wheat bread. Poor people got barley bread. So we see in both these miracles that where God feeds the people, the miracle delivers the basic staple of food. And in this barley loaves and fish miracle, beyond the miracle of the multiplication that so many get fed from so little, the thing that has got the people most excited is that there was more than they could eat. They were so excited by that, they get in boats and they cross the river looking for Jesus. And Jesus calls them on it. He goes, yeah, 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 actually you're here because of the bread. And as I was thinking about the scripture as I prepared to preach on it today, I was thinking about the truth contained uh, in this message. And you know, we, we know the story, we know John 6, we've had sermons preached to us for years about the bread of life. And water that never runs out to all that stuff. And it struck me as I thought about that, that the people that Jesus is actually in dialogue with in the scripture, that the challenge that is given to them has a magnitude that we don't get. When we hear the same challenge as we read the scripture today. Do not work for food that perishes. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. That's a different magnitude of challenge when the people hearing it are the first century poor who have no food security whatsoever. People for whom the day's primary focus was ensuring that they had enough to eat. For the poor, the absolute necessity of the time was to work out how to get enough to eat. That's what you did. You got up, you worked for yourself in your fields, you work with someone else to raise money and you're trying to find enough to eat. And then Jesus says to them, well actually you need to focus on God more than that. You see, Jesus' challenge to the people in this gospel story is about establishing priority. It isn't a literal challenge. He's saying to them, your relationship to God needs to be the most important thing. It needs to be the central priority in your life. 
like, but even more than the priority in your life of finding enough to eat. And for us in the global 1%, our basic needs are relatively assured. The provision of food, water and shelter for most of us doesn't occupy a whole bunch of our consciousness. So what if Jesus was issuing a similar challenge to us today? Challenging us to reprioritize things in our lives, to move our relationship with God into the highest priority. What might we be challenged to compare that to if it wasn't food? What is it that is so entwined through our lives that it's like the need to find enough to eat if you live without any food security? What might that be if we're going to compare how much we needed to focus on God? Well, I thought about it for ages, and all of this is the best that I could come up with. What if Jesus said to us, you need to make your relationship with God as central to your lives as electricity is? Think about it. We don't think about electricity very much, do we? But if it wasn't there, there'd be no lights, there'd be no electronics, maybe no heat, no phone, no media. Powers us everything. What if Jesus challenged us to make our relationship with God more central, more pervasive in our lives than electricity? Think about that for a minute. Go back over your actions this morning, the actions that got you here from when you woke up. Let's run through the list every time an action involves electricity. Turned off the alarm, turned on the light, hot water, kettle, toaster, watch, phone. Again and again and again without thinking electricity. And remember, it's not literal. Jesus isn't challenging us to replace electricity any more, any more than Jesus was challenging us, challenging the people in the gospel today to replace food. Because it isn't an either or kind of challenge. It isn't an instead of challenge. It is a with and within challenge. Jesus' challenge in the scripture is to saturate what exists to saturate what occupies our minds and our time with God. If our relationship with God was central to our everyday existence like electricity was, our lives would be about God, 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 and more God. And what would that look like? Well, I think what it would look like would be, it would look like continuous thanksgiving, wouldn't it? If our relationship with God was like electricity everywhere and always there, we would be acknowledging everything that we did, that in all things throughout our day, that we were drawing on God. And in that act of acknowledgement, surely the only response to the realisation that God is in all and through all we do would be prayers of thanksgiving. If our relationship with God was as central to our lives as electricity, I think the narrative of our lives would be profoundly different. I think how we saw every situation that impacted us would be different. 
because it would be founded on thankfulness, on the acknowledgement of God's presence in all that we do, rather than a narrative that has God outside of it, where everything, how we judge our situations is, is, on, is founded on their own abilities. We judge ourselves on what has been achieved, what has been completed, or what's not been achieved, or not completed. Do not work for food that perishes. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. That's a huge ask for people people on the brink of starvation. And it's the same huge ask if we were to consider placing God at the centre of our lives. If our relationship with God was essential to our lives as electricity, think about this. What would success look like? Our relationship with God was as central to our lives, this big part of our lives as electricity. What would women look like? What would mercy look like? What would compassion look like? If our relationship with God was as central to our lives as electricity, We would be better. And the world would be a lot better.